Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Want to make sure you never miss a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights video again? Be sure to subscribe and hit that bell to turn on notifications. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about roadside rarities and deadly domiciles. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your... Now, who the hell could that be at this time of night? Hey there, friend. Paul J. McSorley here from Fear from the Heartland. How you doing, Steve? It's awful nice to meet you. Well, hello there, Paul. What brings you here on this dark and chilling night? I wanted to get in touch with some of our listeners to let them know about our Halloween special. And boy, do we have a good one this year. Certainly. You have the floor, my friend. For our YouTube listeners, some of you may notice that the regularly scheduled program night for Chilling Tales for Dark Nights is different this week. That's because Fear from the Heartland is having their second and long-awaited Halloween special. That's great. Do you have any words for our podcast listeners as well? I sure do. Podcast patrons, head on over to our YouTube channel Monday evening, tonight, to enjoy a fully cast Sultry Samhain special. It's sure to get even the deadest ghouls heart pumping. <laughs> that sounds, well, if you don't mind me saying so, Paul Ficked. <laughs> Good one, Steve. Can I do the next part just this once? Well, um, I mean, I guess I am. Um... I'm your co-host of sorts for the evening, Paul J. McSorley, and tonight I'll be your introductory guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest Halloween dreams. Thanks, Paul. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of The Vespers Bell and KC Knight are voice talents Nick Goroff, Danielle Hewitt, Trevor Rines, and Justin Reynolds. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark.
Our first tale of the evening is written by the Vespers Bell and is performed by Nick Goroff, Danielle Hewitt, and Trevor Rhines. In it, we'll hear about the wonders of a place that sells uh, one-of-a-kind crimson corn. Sweet and savory, $7 a dozen cash only. Try their diabolical corn maze and win a secret prize. I can't imagine a more beautiful thing. <laughs> so on that note, without further ado, I present to you, what does that mean for the price of corn? It was that time of year when fresh corn signs along the rural roadside are a common sight. Not being a big connoisseur of either fresh produce or farmer's markets, I had never pulled over for one myself. But it was one particularly attention-grabbing sign that caused me to finally decide to give roadside corn a try. It was a hand-painted, blood-red sign with white, almost calligraphic lettering advertising one-of-a-kind crimson corn, sweet and savory, seven dollars a dozen, cash only. Try our diabolical corn maze and win a secret prize. Intriguingly, the sign had a labyrinth symbol encircled by an Ouroboros, a snake eating its own tail. I had never heard of crimson corn and found myself curious enough to make a slight detour to see what it was. The sign pointed down a dusty driveway, which led through a thick tree line that kept me from seeing if there was actually anything down on the other end. It would have made more business sense to put their corn stand on the side of the road, but I figured they must really want people to see this corn maze of theirs. And as it turned out, I was right. I turned left down the bumpy dirt path, just barely wide enough to accommodate my car, passing under a wooden arch as I crossed the tree line. As I drove under it, I took note of an odd mechanical-looking box attached to the archway side. I wondered briefly what it was, but the thought immediately left my mind as I left the trees behind me and entered the farmstead. On a hill in front of me sat a picturesque dark red barn alongside a stately farmhouse that looked more like it should be the penthouse of a high-rise building, and all around them were cornfields of towering crimson corn stalks. I had naturally assumed that crimson corn had been referring to the kernels, but it was their foliage that was as red as a Japanese maples. It was a bewitching sight, such vast fields of surreal-looking corn, swaying and rustling in the soft wind. Even the sunlight felt slightly off and dreamlike, but I chalked that up to the way it refracted off the red leaves. Though there was no sun to be seen, the sky was cloudy enough that I thought nothing of it. The cornstead itself was set up at the very edge of the field, beneath the shade of a gnarled and twisted oak, and beside the entrance to the maze. Many baskets of picked corn were laid out, ready for purchase, and the stand was staffed by a girl who looked to be around twenty years old. She had brilliant blue eyes, pitch black hair and bunches, and wore a red and white checkered farm dress. She exhaled a long drag from her cigarette and gave me a friendly smile and nod as I pulled up beside her. I noticed that she was barefoot, with bright red nail polish that contrasted sharply with the dirty and calloused soles of her feet. I gave so much attention to her feet that I barely gave a thought to the three large, dark creatures lying around them. Hello there, Ducky. Looking for some corn? She beamed. Hello yourself. I've never seen corn like this before. Is this really one of a kind? I asked. Absolutely. It's our own private cultivar of corn. 
100% non-GMO. It's pesticide-free, too, so you can even eat it fresh off the stock. The girl set down her cigarette in an ashtray and picked up a cob of pre-shucked corn, producing a satisfying crunching sound as she bit into it. Red juices squirted outwards and ran down her chin as she looked at Bumi with a suggestive, if obviously mercantile, stare. I can't say it wasn't an effective sales tactic, though, as I found myself stepping towards her and reaching for my wallet. I only stopped when an aggressive snort drew my attention back to the animals at her feet and was surprised to see they were, in fact, large black pigs. Oh, (laughs) thought those were dogs, I muttered dumbly. I prefer pigs to dogs. She explained, throwing down some unshucked corn for them to devour. They're just as smart, but they haven't been bred for unconditional loyalty. So if a pig likes you, you know you earned it. Sorry if they startled you, but a girl can't be sitting out here and meeting with random strangers without a bit of protection. As the pigs chomp down on their corn, it stained their teeth and mouths red an effect which was much less enticing on them than it was on the girl. I had never been so close to pigs without a fence between us, and I couldn't help but take note that even the smallest one looked like it weighed more than I did. They were extremely formidable-looking creatures, and I didn't doubt they could do some serious damage if I got on their bad side. They grunted and snorted hostily as they ate, all of them giving me an evil eye that seemed almost resentful, as if they'd rather be eating me than the corn. Hey, hey, hey. That's enough of that, fellas. The girl scolded them as she knelt down and started scratching the largest one behind the ear. Don't mind them, Dougie. They're harmless. Really. So long as they're fed on time. The pig rolled over on its back and let the girl rub its belly, all of its menacing aura instantly vanishing as it took on the trappings of a typical pet. The other two pigs laid back down in the shade and seemed to lose all interest in me, allowing me to immediately regain my confidence. Yeah, I don't look like they skipped too many meals, I bantered back. Are they really all you got watching your back out here? Your pa's not gonna come running out with a shotgun if he hears a commotion or something like that. My pa? No. My brother's around here somewhere, though. In the maze, I think. She said with an uncertain glance toward the maze entrance. He doesn't have any of his guns on him. But if you're thinking of causing trouble, I don't care much for your chances. I'm not planning any trouble, miss. Just concern for your safety is all, I assured her. So do you recommend eating this corn raw, or is it good cooked too? Actually, the best way to prepare it is to turn it into homebrew whiskey, she said with a coy smile. She reached under her stand and pulled out an unbranded glass bottle half filled with a translucent red liquor. She raised it to her lips and took a swig, closing her eyes and savoring the mouthful for a moment before swallowing, then sighing in satisfaction. I arched my eyebrow at the implication that she had already drank the other half of the bottle, as I would have described her behavior as buzzed at most, and that much hooch should have left her absolutely shit-faced. Hmm, yeah. Not meant for mere mortals. She said, guessing my thoughts. My brother makes this himself right here. He likes to use it for his cocktails. But I prefer Bloody Marys and martinis, so when I drink whiskey, it's usually straight. They do make good Manhattans, though. I'd let you try a shot. But you have to drive, so it might not be a good idea. I'd offer to sell you a bottle, but that wouldn't exactly be legal. But, if you ran through the corn maze, 
It could be your prize. And there wouldn't be anything illegal about that now, would there? Oh, so that's the secret prize the sign mentioned? I asked, a little amused with her underhanded business tactics. How much? Twenty dollars. And it's yours. She said in a tempting, sing-song voice, waving an unopened bottle of corn liquor in front of me. All right. So, seven dollars for the corn and twenty for the maize, I said, putting the exact change down on the stand. I reached for the bottle, only for her to pull it back. Uh-huh. You've got to walk the maze first, Ducky. She insisted. Fine. And it's Holston, by the way. I said, growing a little tired of her favorite epitaph. Mary. Mary, darling. She reciprocated with a satisfied smile. Nodding, I marched off towards the maze to earn my bottle of bootleg whiskey. I only really noticed then that there were several other vehicles parked on the grass alongside the corn maze, but I hadn't seen or heard any sign of anyone else yet. How big is this maze anyway? I shouted back at her. She just shrugged as she took another swig of whiskey. Depends on how good you are at solving it. She shouted. Oh, and keep an eye out for my brother. He likes to dress up as a scarecrow and scare people. Shaking my head in irritation, I stepped into the maze of crimson corn. The instant I was inside, I was struck by how much darker and quieter everything was. The bloody red stalks loomed over me at more than seven feet tall, casting shadows in all directions. The corn was so tall and thick, it seemed impenetrable, absorbing any ambient sound so that the only thing I could hear was the stalks rustling in the winds and my own feet crunching the straw beneath them. The sky seemed to darken as well, along with taking on a reddish hue as if the sun has hastened its descent to the horizon. I dismissed it as an illusion caused by some sudden increase in cloud cover and the odd color of my surroundings and pressed onwards. The maze offered only 90-degree turns at randomly spaced junctions. I tried making only right-hand turns, but I quickly came upon several junctions where that wasn't an option, as well as running into a couple of dead ends and having to double back. Before long, I was completely disoriented and had no idea which way I had come from. I decided to give up on any sort of strategy for the time being and simply wandered the maze at random. There were signposts spaced out at irregular intervals, though none of them provided any useful information at all. The signs all had short, scary messages like, Every way is the wrong way. You were lost before you started, and don't scream, he'll hear you. Since these signs offered only a sort of landmark within the maze, I took out my phone to take a picture of each one as I passed, in the hopes that it would help me find my way out. I saw that I had no signal, which wasn't surprising given that I was a fair way out in the sticks, but it was even enough to raise my anxiety a bit. I was technically lost, with no way to phone for help, and nobody knew where I was. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. 
Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I was so ensconced in thought that when I looked up from my phone, I nearly hollered out loud at the sight of Scarecrow rising over the corn. I remembered what the girl had said about her brother, and I struggled to tell if the Scarecrow was a person or not. The lighting was terrible, and hanging off a post over twelve feet in the air put him at an awkward and unfamiliar angle. Craning my neck and squinting my eyes, I strained to make out every detail that I could. The head was either covered in or made out of a tattered burlap mask with a jagged, crudely stitched smile. There were eye holes, but the space within them was too shattered for me to tell or not it had any eyes. The burgundy shirt, coveralls, boots, and work gloves had all seen better days but none were so ragged as to provide a definitive view of human flesh beneath them. The scarecrow's head was leaning downwards and pointed directly at me. In his right hand, he grasped a rusty sickle. I stood frozen in place for a moment, staring at the thing and waiting for any sign of movement. When I was sufficiently convinced that no living thing could remain so perfectly motionless for so long, I let out a sigh of relief and continued on my trek down the straw-laden path. Just as I had convinced myself that the girl probably didn't even have a brother and that she had just been messing with me, I heard a loud thud, cushioned by the crushing of straw under booted feet. I spun around and saw that the scarecrow had leapt from his post and was now standing upon the path. As he stared at me, I caught a glimpse of blue behind its mask, the same bright blue as the girl's eyes had been. Shit! I cursed, taking a few stumbling steps backwards but fighting the urge to flee entirely. Listen, buddy, I'm just doing this to get a bottle of whiskey. I already paid your sister. This is just a technicality, so I'm not interested in this haunted maze shtick you got going on. Do you understand? Raising his rusty sickle high into the air, he broke out into a sprint, cackling manically as he raced towards me. Even though I was still about 80% sure at that point that he was simply messing with me, the lingering 20% of doubt was more than enough to send me running like my life depended on it. I zigged and zagged down every turn I could in the hopes of losing the sickle-wielding scarecrow, not knowing what I would do if I went into a dead end before I could lose him. A brief feeling of relief washed over me when I saw another person walk out of a junction and into the path ahead of me. He looked as confounded as I was by the situation, but unharmed, indicating that perhaps that this was just an unusually elaborate roadside attraction after all. He wasn't able to see the scarecrow behind me, however, since the pathway was too narrow. Whoa, hey! <laughs> What are you doing? He shouted as I nearly ran him over, pushing him aside and continuing on my way. But when I heard him scream, followed by the sound of steel slicing across flesh and his body thudding against the ground, I had to look back. The man was lying down with his head to the side and his throat slid open. The blood gurgling in his throat and frothing in his mouth as he still desperately struggled to breathe. The scarecrow 
knelt upon his lap and plunged his sickle into his abdomen, slicing through his stomach with a practiced surgical precision. He had quite deliberately avoided the vital organs, drawing out the kill for as long as he could, what little I could see of his face spasming and manic giddy as he watched his victim suffer beneath him. He wasn't dead yet. Maybe I could have helped. Maybe I could have fought Scarecrow off him and got the man to a hospital before he had lost too much blood. I don't know. I only know that I didn't. Instead, taking advantage of the Scarecrow's preoccupation with his victim to put as much space between him and myself as I could. Night fell immediately after that. It was a full blood moon rising in the sky. Its red light, the only illumination any of us had to evade the things that hunted us. I say us, because I heard the other victims in the labyrinth, even if I never ran into any more of them while they were still alive. I heard terrified children screaming for their parents. Desperate parents screaming for their children panic-stricken adults screaming like children and all of them screaming in agony as they fell before the scarecrow sickle. There was also a woman laughing psychotically alongside the squealing and trampling hooves of swine. So I could only conclude that Mary wasn't a mere accomplice but an active participant in this massacre. Just like with the first man, I never offered any help. I just ran as far as I could, as fast as I could, while making as little noise as possible. Given how long I lasted without running into the scarecrow or his lackeys again, this was apparently a winning strategy. I tried to get off the path, of course, desperately to hide among the cornstalks and possibly escape the field just by running straight for as long as it took. But it was impossible. The stalks were unbreakable and had been sewn too close together to squeeze between. The more I pushed them, the more they seemed to push back, their rustling transforming into a vicious hissing sound. I was able to pluck some cobs, the closest thing to defensive weapons that I could get my hands on. The red kernels gleamed like drops of blood in the crimson moonlight, throbbing rapidly with my own racing heartbeat. The same corn that had seemed uniquely beautiful in the broad light of day were monstrous abominations to me now, and I detested touching them. But I needed something, anything, to use as a weapon. I lost all track of time in that disorienting and monstrously mammoth maze, constantly on the run and pumped full of adrenaline. But eventually, I felt exhausted, as if I had run a full marathon. Shambling forward, I lurched down another path, barely even aware, and I was staggering into a dead end. When I finally looked up, I stopped in my tracks seeing that the scarecrow was crouched in front of a freshly dead body. It was a boy, around ten years old, when the scarecrow had used his sickle to cut the top of his skull clean off. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to be eating your brain, young man. The scarecrow said to his victim, gently petting the exposed gray matter. Cliché as it sounds, I don't have one of my own. But how can you speak if you don't have a brain? The dead child asked with an equally dead expression, his voice flat and his jaw moving up and down like a ventriloquist's dummy. Somehow, the scarecrow was using the boy's body as a puppet. Well, I'm not sure, but some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? The scarecrow quoted. 
Smiling, he plunged his hand into the boy's open skull, grabbing his brain and tearing it free with a single strong tug. He squeezed it slightly, causing it to drip blood onto his hands and onto the ground below. Let's see if this helps, shall we? Looking directly at me, he placed the brain upon his head, wearing it like a raw, blood-drenched hat. The sum of the square roots of any two sides of an isosceles triangle is equal to the square root of the remaining side, he quoted again, smiling perversely through freshly made tears in his mask. Not knowing what else to do, I threw my cobs of corn at him. He sliced one of them in midair with his sickle, but the rest of them didn't even get close enough for him to bother with. With a condescending stare, he waited for me to make the next move. Deciding that fleeing would be slightly less futile than fighting, I turned around and limped down another path as fast as my wobbly legs would go, my gasps turning more and more into sobs with every step. I didn't hear the scarecrow giving chase, but in a few seconds, it was clear why. I had run straight into a large square clearing at the end of the maze, where all the other victims' bodies had been piled up onto a skid to block my path to freedom. One of them had been savagely ripped open, the viscera and entrails haphazardly scattered about them like a paint-filled balloon splattering upon a canvas. Mary was there wallowing Nate in the gore alongside her pigs, each of them coated red in their victim's blood. The pigs greedily chomped away at whatever body part was within reach of their snouts, while Mary used a butcher knife to saw fistfuls of flesh and devoured them with a feral madness. I just stared, too dumbstruck to react, too petrified to even try and make my way past them to the exit, until I felt the scarecrow place his hand upon my shoulder and poke his sickle against my back. You were supposed to say, that's a right triangle, you idiot, he said, and I felt the warm, squishy brain being shoved on top of my head. I think you need that more than I do. Oh, Mary, darling. At his call, I saw a flicker of lucidity replace the animalistic instinct in her eyes. Despite the absence of clothing and abundance of other people's vital fluids upon her body, she assumed a polite and dignified pose as she rose to speak with him. Yes, James, darling? She smiled at him. This is our last victim, if my count's right. And I thought I should see what you'd like done with him before I do anything too irreversible. He explained as he pushed me closer towards her. I was too exhausted and terrified to offer any protest or resistance aside from some reflexive whimpering and gasping. If I was going to fight back, it would only be to provoke them into killing me quickly instead of whatever grim torture they might have planned. Oh, that's so thoughtful, James, darling. She beamed at him. Hmm, let's see. My bloodlust feels pretty well sated. And I think I must have at least five pounds of raw flesh inside me. I need to leave some room for a nightcap, or I'll wake up with the shakes. We've got more than enough for the larder and market until our next hunt. So unless you're just itching for one more kill... I say we let him go and call it a night. The largest of the pigs seemed to grunt distastefully at this suggestion, eyeing me with the same hungry look as he had before. Hmm. He does have another victim's DNA on him. A child's no less. The scarecrow said thoughtfully. Letting him go like this would be hilarious. Looks like you're outvoted, Orwell. Mary shouted back to the pig before pointing her bloody knife directly at my heart. Don't you get too comfortable, though, Ducky. We may come after you again in the future. Or we may not. 
It'd be fun. But we might just plumb forget about you. For you, this is the worst day of your life. But for us, it's a Tuesday. A good Tuesday, though. She yawned and stretched before looking past me again to speak with her brother. James, darling. I'm too tired to hose off first, so I'm going to plop down here with the pigs so I don't mess up the residence. Just get rid of him. Stick the bodies in the larder. And come join us when you're done. She told him. I felt something sharp pierce my backside, and at first I assumed it was the scarecrow's sickle, but quickly realized it had been a syringe of some kind. I saw Mary herd her pigs together and lay down against them as she swigged her nightcap from another bottle of whiskey before I lost consciousness. When I woke up, I was in police custody. I had been abandoned naked on the side of the road, with the child's brain still on my head and the scarecrow's sickle in my hand. I'm now being held without bail as the prime suspect in not only his murder, but the disappearance and presumed murder of seven other victims as well, since that sickle had DNA from each and every one of them on it. My lawyer is going to try and convince the jury that I am, in fact, another victim of the real killers, and that the more fantastical elements of my story are the results of trauma and being drugged. But there is no evidence to back up my story. The corn maze is just gone. The sign's gone. The weird box I saw on the archway is gone, and the driveway just leads to an abandoned lot. Toxicology report showed there was nothing special about what the scarecrow used to put me out, and the bastard make sure to prick my back in a place that I could reach myself. I know my odds of winning over a jury aren't great, but I'm not too worried about that now. This morning, I woke up wearing the scarecrow's masks. The darlings haven't forgotten about me, and they want me to know that even in county jail, they can get to me whenever they want. I guess Mary's pigs aren't going to have to settle for corn much longer after all. I hope you enjoyed What Does That Mean for the Price of Corn? As written by The Vespers Bell and voiced by Nick Goroff, Danielle Hewitt, and Trevor Rines. If you enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you that tonight's featured authors can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash authors slash The Vespers Bell. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash authors slash T-H-E dash V-E-S-P-E-R-S dash B-E-L-L. Other works by him can be found on Reddit at R slash The Vespers Bell and on Amazon at Kindle dash store dash Vespers dash Bell. His creations, The Star Sirens, can be found in the novella Madness is Like Gravity, and tales you've heard this evening, among others, can be found in his upcoming Heroic Chronicles, Volume 3, due out this fall. Our second tale of the evening comes to us from author K.C. Knight, and is performed by Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's newcomer, Justin Reynolds. They say that one of the hardest things to get a teenage boy to do is to keep their room clean, and the smells don't even get me started. 
On that note, this next tale describes a mother's predicament dealing with this exact situation with less than ideal results. Now, without further ado, I present to you Monstrous. When Miss Lott opened the door to her eldest son's bedroom, the last thing she'd expected to find was the unholy sight that greeted her now. Fingers tightening involuntarily over the outside doorknob, the rest of her body froze on the spot. Widen eyes fixed on a scene describable only as carnage. It was as if the worst nightmares of all who had been parents had simultaneously manifested in one terrible form. The carpet was the first thing she'd noticed. Once a delicate shade of the palest blue, it had now appeared scarred by unimaginable horrors. Stained by blood, the amount of which was nothing less than copious. The enormous patch reached from the room's middle into every direction. A jagged circle of darkened crimson. So dark that the oversized smear could easily have passed for an opening pit revealing the way down into hell itself. And the walls made the carpet seem like a fit decoration for a children's nursery. Splashed with so much gore, the paint beneath was almost invisible that seemed to close in on the immobilized mother. Further dried blood streaks slashed and spattered everywhere around her like obscene works of art. But even the walls weren't the worst part. Deciding which was would have been impossible. Helplessly, Miss Lott stood in her son's doorway, almost numb with shock, unable to stop her eyes from darting around in search of every awful detail, taking in the lampshade, strewn with wet strings of what was unmistakably human viscera, adding to the carpet stain with steady drips, and partially sticking to the ceiling almost as some travesty of a party banner. It was as though they had been carelessly thrown up towards it. Countless scarlet flecks dulled the wide desk's usual mahogany shine, all possessions formally arranged so neatly upon it. Books, CDs, the PC, had been half buried beneath objects of an infinitely grislier nature. A collection of severed limbs in varying states of decay scattered casually across the desk's entire surface. Some appeared fresh, the open wounds displaying where they had been ripped from their torsos still shining. Most others looked older, stiff and lying like lumps of discolored marble in their wasted blood. Hints of rot just beginning to devour loose flesh and threads around each gaping socket hole. Across the room were the bodies where they had been torn from, or at least what was left of them. Corpses of more than half a dozen people missing. Numerous chunks lay in sprawled imitations of broken dolls over part of the bed and trailed across the floor surrounding it. Meanwhile, the rest of the unrecognizable carpet had been littered with much smaller fragments. Teeth. Cracked nails. A solitary finger. Discarded souvenirs of utterly indifferent slaughter. Forcing her eyes shut, Miss Lott tried to banish the sight of the horrors before her. Mental images remained, every detail lingering just as clearly. Swallowing, she struggled to fight back waves of revulsion, rigid hand tightening further around the doorknob until it squeaked sharply in protest. Scarcely noticing, she continued to stare at the abomination her son's bedroom had become. Her son. Her own flesh and blood. How could he be responsible for something like this? Oh, she had her suspicions, yes. An unshakable feeling that he was up to no good. She had not missed the signs. He seemed determined to keep anybody from entering his room, almost paranoid in the way he'd kept its door closed practically at all times. Hastily snapping it shut, if he heard anyone coming when it was ajar. 
refusing to even allow his younger siblings inside anymore. After days and days of this uncharacteristically secretive behavior, Miss Lott had finally decided to see what he was so keen to hide and come to enter despite his apparent ban, using an old spare key to thwart the lock he had taken to employing. Many possibilities as to what she might find had crossed her mind before opening the door, but none were close to anything like this. The reality, it was monstrous. What are you doing in my room? At the sound of her son's sharp voice, Miss Lott spun around with near breakneck speed, away from the scene of chaos, to find its origin standing right behind her, a furious glare fixed on his face. Too late came the realization of the mistake she had made. She had thought him absent, out for the night again. Apparently, he had changed his mind. It was only too plain now that she should have never trusted a single word he said at all. You think you can take that tone with me? When I've just discovered what you've been doing. Flames of outrage billowed into life inside Miss Lott, overpowering and burning up her sense of stunned horror. How long did you expect to get away with this, Manny? Resigning that the truth was finally out replaced the young teenager's anger, and he took a step backward, shrugging. It's no big deal, he muttered, stuffing both hands into the pockets of his hooded jacket. How can you say that? Miss Lott almost shrieked. Seizing hold of his sleeve, she dragged her son into the doorway to stand at her side, gesturing wildly at the room and its blood-soaked interior. Look at what you've done, Manny. It's horrific. How many times did I tell you to tidy your room last month? And now you've made it worse than ever? I've never seen anything like it. Tugging his arm, Manny attempted unsuccessfully to wriggle from her grip. It isn't really that bad, he whined, somewhat less than convincingly. And you said I could always bring my leftovers home. In reply, the sight of Miss Lott's neck exploded, forcing its way out through the bloodied hole that appeared. A second head quickly protruded, pushing aside the first, which, like a punctured balloon, immediately deflated into a shriveled lump of ruddy-hued skin and quaffed ginger hair. Don't try to make any excuses for this pigsty. The new purple skin head snapped glaring down at Manny with a single, even angrier red eye. We bring leftovers back to store nicely in the kitchen, not to leave lying around in an absolute mess. Your father and I didn't bring you up to be so lazy. As his mother berated him, a long tail ending in several green spikes slid out from beneath Manny's jacket and hung between his legs. We're the only monsters around here for miles. It's not like we ever get visitors, he mumbled defensively. That's not the point, Miss Lott retorted. We have standards in this house, Maneater. I don't spend half my time each day keeping every other room clean just so you can make an eyesore out of yours. You're acting like a complete human. Jeez, Mom. You don't have to be that insulting, her son muttered, head hanging a notch lower at the full use of his name. I mean it. No more solo trips if you can't behave properly on hunting nights. You can go back to accompanying your dad and me when we head out, Miss Lott said flatly, ignoring Manny's complaint of, so embarrassing, grumbled under his breath. Now tidy up this bombsite and make sure you do a proper job this time. Otherwise, no more hunts at all. And you'll just have to settle for what the rest of us bring back. With a final sharp look from her solitary eye, Miss Lott pushed her scowling son further into the room and began to storm away from it herself, lifeless other head flopping like an empty sock puppet. 
as she slammed the bloodstained door behind her. I hope you enjoyed Monstrous, as written by Casey Knight and performed by Justin Reynolds. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host of the evening, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.